Hello, hello. Thank you very much for being here. Um, this is, uh, you know, we do, we do a lot of programming and a lot of different entrepreneurs you get to hear from uh, at the conference. And uh, this is personally one of my favorite sessions because we got enough time to really go in deep on a story that I think is one of the most interesting lean startup stories I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I guarantee, I guarantee this is a story you will not hear anywhere else and not even close to a story you would hear anywhere else. So uh, I am very, very pleased that we get a chance to uh, be here with Corey Nelson from GE. Um, I'll, I'll let you give him a sense, I'll, I'll let him tell you about his background and, and uh, uh, how he came to be doing this uh, in a moment, but um, I just want to make sure that everyone knows that we're going to be taking audience questions using our magical high technology iPad-based system that we tried this morning. So uh, they're going to put the URL up on the screen to submit your questions from your mobile device. They're going to do that, I swear. Uh, it's in my monitor. I can see the URL. Oh, there we go. OK. So if you have questions uh, as we go through, put them on there, and we'll try to work them in uh, as we go with the audience. Fair? So Corey, welcome. Thanks, Eric. Um, first, before we get into you know, Lean Startup, and just give us a sense of your background and kind of what, what you do at GE and, and what your career has been like. OK. So I've been around big equipment uh, really my whole, whole life. I grew up on a, on a wheat farm in North Dakota. I've been around <laughs> factories and combines and, and different kinds of engines. I, I've worked on things. So it led me to uh, a career to starting out in engineering, but really uh, kind of branched out from there. And, and I've, I've worked in, uh, say, so started in engineering, went to product management, sales, operations, and then kind of come back to product management sort of in mid-career. So I joined GE about 10 years ago. I went to work in the aeroderivative uh, group where take a Part, or the main part of the jet engine and do power generation with that. And then uh, in early 2012, I got tapped on the shoulder and they said, hey, we'd really like you to do this new diesel program. Uh, this is a chairman's project that's, that's coming from Jeff Immelt himself. Jeff has blessed it. You've got funding the first year. Off we go. <laughs> and what's, uh, what's interesting was if we were on that same plan uh, that we started in those days, I, you know, there's no way I would be here today. And, 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 and really, we, we, ended up here because of, uh, of some of the issues early on in, in, in that program. Mm -hmm. So I know, because now we've had a chance to work together, I know what a diesel uh, program is. Yep. But a lot of our folks, I got a lot of fellow software guys in the audience and have absolutely no idea what you just said and what it means. Okay. So give us a sense for what, what is it that we're talking about? What are these products? So these are large diesel engines for power generation. Uh, so not a mobile app. Not a mobile app. <laughs> Far, uh, they, they could have wheels. Sometimes they've got trailers. People uh, tow them around to different places, especially in developing countries. But the, the MVP that we, uh, we put forth is a, is a large product. It's about two and a half megawatts. Uh -huh. That would take care of roughly uh, 3,500 homes in, in the US, probably 5,000 or 6,000 homes in Africa, something like that. It's, it weighs 30 tons. It's uh, seven and a half meters long, two and a half meters high, and about two meters wide. So it would fill up uh, the better part of the stage. So big. Big. Yeah. My takeaway. Big, big and heavy. Big, big and heavy, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and the kind of thing that explodes when things go wrong. Well, we don't like to use those kinds of words. I see. So hopefully <laughs> never, never will happen. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, that's the software guy in me <laughs> talking about, well, that would scare the hell out of me. But, but it can power an awful lot of iPhones, uh, up <laughs> iPhones, iPads uh, with two and a half megawatts, definitely. Uh, that is awesome. So. Uh, so you're saying you, you, you got kind of assigned to this project. This is a real entrepreneurial venture within GE. Uh, maybe talk about why is it like why is it an unusual project for GE? What uh, what was special about it? And kind of how were you feeling when you first got the chance to to lead it? Well, even even though I'm, I'm more of a seasoned guy, I've, I've been around for 30 years. Um, I, I certainly didn't anticipate some of the issues that we we walked into. You know, um, think. 
the, the whole, um, you know, it, it looked really good coming in in terms of funding and everything else. And I, I think back to the definition from your book, right? That uh -huh. a startup is a human enterprise or human institution, right? Yep. And I, I wouldn't have put those two words in. And then the final couple words are, you know, under extreme uncertainty. And, and that's certainly what we've experienced really as a team going through this thing. It, it's the human part of it. it it's, getting, it's building a team. It's keeping that team on track and, and, and moving it through. But then it's the uncertainty piece, right? And, and this is a project that even, even though Jeff blessed it, there's a lot of people between the team <laughs> and Jeff that weren't necessarily on, on board with this thing, right? Hey, why do diesel? Why, why this? Why that? So we spent a lot of time, and, and finally on the team, we kind of drew a circle. And, and I call it the if, what, how circle, right? So if we do this, What's it going to look like, and, and how do we get, get the stuff done? And unfortunately, we, we never really went around the circle. We kept going round and round and round the circle <laughs> the first couple of years, trying to get past if, um, trying to uh, kind of debating the, the what. And, and you know, certainly when you do a clean sheet of paper design like we are in, in, in our business, it takes a long time. I mean, the design part is, is a big chunk of it, but then in, in large engines like this, it takes a long time to uh, procure castings and forgings, get those things machined make sure it all works together, there's always going to be some design errors. So, whereas in software you can operate much, much faster, you can do things 24-7 and so on, a lot of our stuff is, is really you're at the mercy of your suppliers. So these are, are long-term kinds of development programs. So give us a sense for a typical program like this, how long between when you decide to do it and when you can ship products? What's kind of a typical cycle time? When you, when you pull the trigger, it's somewhere between four and five years. Yeah. So no, it's not exactly continuous deployment, that's what I'm and, trying and to emphasize. You, and as you told me the first time we met, you said, you know, you have companies that, that are born and die in six months. So you <laughs> yeah. have a hard time getting your head around something that would take this long, and, and, and why on earth would it be this long to, to yeah. produce a product? Well, that, and that was a big part of the education for me, you know, getting to see this project go. And we'll, we'll talk about Lean Startup as it applied to it in, in a moment. Um, for me, really, what was necessary is to really to understand, like, what are the drivers of that time? What are the long lead time items that make sense, that need to be there because, you know, physics? And what are the things that, you know, the company's process and kind of our pr normal product development process kind of impose as overhead uh, on the program? And that was a big, that was big education for me. So I, uh, I, did, I knew very little about this when we started. And, and, and this being a chairman's program, we were going to try to have the perfect project. Uh -huh. so, so we were going to you know, follow the letter of the, the, the product development procedure. And, and so you know, we wrote a 150-page product requirements document, <laughs> right? And you know, every segment we were going to pursue, we had a team going off and doing those things. And you know, it, it was elaborate. It, it, it was beautiful by the time it yeah, was. Yeah, it was a gorgeous, <laughs> gorgeous business plan. <laughs> Until we got to Tollgate 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I remember like it was yesterday, because it was a big moment in my life when we first met and the context in which we first started talking about Lean Startup. But I'm very curious to hear the story from your point of view. Like, how were you introduced to Lean Startup? What, what, what was that like? And what were you thinking at the time? So it goes back a little bit uh, from that particular meeting. But I recall flying, it was probably to Erie, Pennsylvania, to our, our transportation uh, group at that time. And I, I got a, Jeff writes a blog. So in the blog, he says, here's three books that I'm reading. And, and I think the second book was The Lean Startup by Eric Ries, right? And he said, this is a good book. And, I, and it kind of hit me and I said, hey, you know, really we're doing a startup internally. This is going to come back around and, and hit <laughs> us, right? And so about the time we were going through this Tollgates 2 stuff where we... we Explain what Tollgate 2 is, yeah, by the way. So Tollgate 2 is the product requirements, right? So that's this big document that we, we created. And, and basically kind of got it thrown back at us and said, you guys are just taking way too long. I think I heard one of the speakers say this morning that sometimes as a CEO, it just has to be arbitrary. Yep. And, and Jeff had sort of laid down a, a rule someplace that said, no program should go more than four years. Well, we were tracking five or five and a half years. So we automatically kind of got put into the penalty box, and, and that's when we met you. 
Uh -huh. we, we got sent for remedial training. How can <laughs> we get this thing going faster? So, so yeah, this was the very early days of Lean Startup at GE. And uh, the way I remember it was, uh, you know, I had given a bunch of speeches and talks inside the GE. And uh, they were, you know, I think auditioning me a little bit to see, like, how does, does this make sense? And uh, they wanted me to come and address Jeff and his officers and have kind of a, a moment for them to consider this idea. And Jeff had said, um, well, it's great for software, but I don't want to waste time with this unless we can prove that it's, you know, so I think he pretty much chose a project that he thought it was very unlikely to work, something really hard and difficult and problematic and, you know, it has everything going against it because it's not like, well, if it worked for that, and then I met Corey. Uh, because he, so, you know, I can't only imagine how, you know, what that was like for you to kind of be summoned to, to do this remedial training, you know, I don't know if that was like such a great day in your life when you got the news. <laughs> Well, I, I, you know, I, I guess I take those things with a grain of salt, and I thought, it, you know, if nothing else, we'll learn a couple things, right? But the meeting that we had certainly wasn't uh, conducive to a learning <laughs> environment. We had about 14 officers, and they were peppering us with questions, and I got about two slides into my, my deck, and kind of everything, all pandemonium <laughs> broke loose. And at the end, I remember shaking your hand and saying, you know, Eric, really all I'd want to do is if you could spend a half a day with our team at some point, you know, uh -huh. just, just, just you. We don't need 14 officers uh, chiming in and, and adding value, supposedly. Um, this would be much better if we could just do this with you. And ultimately, we got there when, when we started yeah. the, the, the Lean Startup training, which became the FastWorks training. Uh, we got our time with you, and I think that was, uh, that was valuable. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, this was, uh, I want to kind of really set the scene for folks, you know, this team gets, gets summoned up to headquarters and there's all these luminaries and senior executives you know, in the back of the room just to observe. And they're really like this you know, the whole time. And what I remember from that meeting especially was the first order of business I felt was for Corey to present to the whole group, here is the approved business case for this program. Here's what our current plan is and here's how, here's how it works. And I don't know if you, if you want to talk a little bit about what that was like to kind of walk through what the real uncertainties were in the program kind of for the first time with that, with that audience. Yeah, we didn't get very far. Um, no, I mean, there's, there's certainly a lot of uncertainty, and I think um, GE is a, it's a large public, or public uh, uh, company, and, and certainly we've got quarterly um, you know, commitments to make, so it's, it's harder to plan for the long term. And so I think there was a, a real concerted effort initially to try to kind of shield the team from that. But it was sort of after the first year, you really need to go back into the business and improve your worth. Um, this program's got to stack up against other programs, and you know, decide which wings we're going to fund. And even though Jeff kicked this thing off initially, that doesn't give you a pass for life. Right. And, and so you need to come back with something that's going to work. And, that, and I think the MVP sort of became something that um, it, it was sort of the, the necessity was the motherhood of invention, right? We, MVP was something we needed at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, we needed to do something faster. Um, we needed to do something. And, and I think you know, we kind of got it conceptually around, hey, we can go learn some things with the MVP. There's some things that we want to test. But I don't think, at least I didn't, and, and I think most of the team didn't think about that. We're going to learn as much as we have uh -huh. right, right, to, to, to begin. And, and, and how important that is, not just from the learning side, but also it gave us something to talk about with the senior leadership. You know, I think when you talk about a program that's out there this many years and they're worried about, hey, am I going to make it this quarter or next quarter? Or how's the year look or all those things? We were so far from, from what they would typically think about or, or, or do, where now the MVP brought this thing inside the window of, of what they cared about. Mm -hmm. and, and so it really gave us something tangible to talk about. Um, and we were able to do it sort of carving a piece out of the, the main program, which is still a program that, that's in place. So we didn't have to go ask for extra funding. Mm -hmm. we, 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 we had a lot of uh, creative freedom within that to, to go ahead and, and do that MVP. But I think that was really the, the turning point coming out of that, like I say, kind of the, 
the, the product review or product requirements review Toolgate 2 debacle, yeah. it, it, it forced us into, hey, we've got to do something faster. And we came up, I think, half a dozen different MVPs that we were contemplating at that time and, mm -hmm. and kind of culminated in the, in the big one I talked about a minute ago. Yeah, so, so uh, you know, one of the funny things about this project is when I'm talking to software people about the need to do an MVP, people who are having, an, like, who are uncomfortable with Lean Startup, they're like, well, MVP can't be the right way because you can't make a minimum viable engine. Now, most people have never, wouldn't know an engine if it hit them in the face. They're just trying to pick some, an example of something that they think is too difficult to do an MVP for. And it's been really, by the way, very handy for me to be like, well, actually, <laughs> I, I, know, uh, I know actually that you don't know what you're talking about because I was there. I saw it happen. But for the audience who I'm sure is having this exact thought, like, I don't want to ride in a car with a minimum viable engine. I don't want to fly in a plane. Like, what does, that, what does MVP mean in the context of this program? And kind of what are some of the things that you learned from that? Yeah. So in our case, it was taking an existing product that already had some, some time on it. Um, mm -hmm. It had been proven both uh, you know, in, the, in the lab at the factory as well as out in the field. I think the high time engine was around 10,000 hours. So you know, we knew that, that this product worked well. It was based on one of our, our, our gas engines that had you know, millions of hours of operation. So technically, we weren't taking a big risk. And, and certainly from a customer perspective, you know, I, I've got a lot of empathy for customers. I said, I grew up on a farm. I, yeah. as, as a kid, I, I, I had to run to town for parts and, and, and work on things and get all greasy and stuff. So I, I have a big empathy for customers and I, and I didn't want to create any orphans, right? What I didn't want to do is, okay, let's, let's go sell a few of these someplace in the world and then forget about it if somebody turns, turns tail on, on this program. No, we need to be out there to, to support these things. Go off and these, or these products will run for 10, 15, 20 years, especially mm -hmm. in, in more of a standby application. So we didn't want to leave any orphans. So that was one of our, our things as we went through this program was, you know, it's minimum in terms of what we've done to optimize the product, but it's a very good product by itself. Yeah. It had great fuel efficiency. It was very competitive, you know, coming out of the gates. But not, not to say that our engineers weren't a little embarrassed about it, right? right. That they really would have liked to, to you know, kind of the hot rod types, hey, we can really get this thing cranking if you give, give me a little bit more money, Corey, right? right. But he had to say, that, that's for version two, mm -hmm. or maybe it's version 1.1. And it's something we haven't quite figured out yet as to what will our next step be? How do we get the M out of MVP That's right. in this case? But uh, we certainly want to put something out that we could stand behind, feel good about it. I, I think that's what we have so far. Um, so, but in terms of testing things, to me, the, the MVP is really more back to, to testing. And testing can be, the, and, and you and I talked about, the brochure test. Mm -hmm. Just mock up a brochure, take it to a customer and say, would you buy it? Yep. Right? We talked to those customers early on in this program, but not, not asking the question, would you buy it? We asked the question, you know, what do you think of, of this particular specification? And, and again, like some of the other speakers would say, yeah, right, yeah it's, it's nice, it's good. Yeah, it I'll work. take a free pony, no yeah, problem. Yeah, yeah. That, that'll be good. But, we didn't ask that key question. You know, if we produce something of this spec, would you actually buy it? Mm -hmm. So as we went through our MVP candidates, we did some of that paper stuff first. And like I say, we, we kind of honed in on, on this one product that said, hey, you know, we, we've got something over here in the transportation business that looks pretty darn good the way it is. Mm -hmm. We have a couple little product tweaks to it. We didn't really optimize it from a power output. We've got a lot more room to grow from a power output standpoint. Um, but it, again, it's gonna be, a, I think, a good product for these first customers that'll go out and buy it. And, I think you want to give those first customers also a, a break that as we come out with the new features, or, you know, whether it's a controls upgrade or some other things, you know, certainly give them uh, the opportunity to get in first and, and, and maybe test some more things with us. And sure, and be it, a reward for being an early adopter. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So one of the concerns people have often is as soon as we start to do the, the de-scoping exercise of MVP, that's going to mean compromises in terms of safety, quality, performance, you know, the things that really are non-negotiables for customers. Right. You know, I appreciate you saying that was something you felt 
it was important as something you felt you could really stand behind for customers. Can you talk a little bit about how did you figure out what are the areas where we can, we can do less and be a little bit of embarrassed and it's okay, and what are the areas where, no, we have to stick to our traditional rigor and it's a compromise is unacceptable? Yeah, I mean, I think in, in being around GE for 10 years and, and, and recalling, I guess, kind of how the, the product requirement or product development process has, has changed, it, it's only grown. In, in the last 10 years, right? You keep adding process, and every time a product goes out in the field and doesn't do what it's supposed to do or has some early failures or something else, we add more paragraphs to the, to the process, right? So it, it, it was kind of time to, to take a look at that and say, were a lot of these just one-offs, or, or are these really something that we should be doing all the time and just didn't think of it before? So we've taken that as sort of our framework to work within, but at each step of the way, we're making the judgment call, is this something that we need, really need to do? Or do we have validation, in this case, from, from our transportation group, that we don't have to redo that same stuff over on our side of the business? Right. So we, we've come back and challenged a lot of those processes and, and to get things through. I would say performance is one area where we've, we've definitely said, you know, this is not going to be as much performance as we could have. So if we did more tweaking, we could get this thing you know, to work better. Um, but beyond that, I mean, I think, you know, we, we have to certify it. It has to, has to meet uh, CE standards uh, in Europe to, to leave our, our European facility. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's certainly something that, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's definitely a viable product. Yeah, I mean, and people sometimes forget the V. Right. Yeah, and, and uh, that's, that's pretty important. So I want to go back to that uh, meeting with all these officers. Yep. And, and maybe I'll say something that, that maybe you don't have to say. <laughs> I'll say it. My recollection is we had this in the meeting. We talked about... Um, the future projections mm -hmm. for this program. Now, to get the program funded at the level that is going to be, these are not inexpensive, this is not an inexpensive product development effort. This is, this is, this is a lot of money to produce this thing. And uh, um, so we talked about, you had these forecasts in there, and I remember, you know, the officers were all kind of cranky about it, and you're talking about how much money we're going to make in the year 2025 or something like that. It was a number so big that, that I couldn't even fathom because uh, you've got to justify the ROI on this very expensive program. And I remember asking the officers, okay, everyone in this room, raise your hand if you believe in this forecast. And I kid you not, every person in the room is like, what, do you, what kind of a dumb question is that, kid? This is the approved official GE forecast. We have, our finance people have signed off. A lot of people have signed We wrote a huge check on the basis of this forecast. And I said, okay, thank you very much. That's great. But seriously, raise your hand if you believe that in the year 2025, we're going to make exactly, and I read out the number that was on the chart, you know, some big bar chart, and of course, at that point, everyone's hand went down. I was like, well, we don't know exactly, of course. You know, it's just a, just a guess. We don't know for sure. And we, it was a, an entry point into talking about, okay, what are the uncertainties with this program? What I, the way I remember it is the plan that the officers were excited to talk about was all about the technical aspects. Gee, is an engineering company in the, the day. We talked a lot about fuel efficiency and performance and power, weight, you know, all the different use cases it was going to be used at. I always remember it as like on land, on sea, by plane, by boat, on a train. You know, if you, if you need an engine, this program is there for you. That's right. Uh, and so we when we started to talk about the MVP, we said, well, well if you had to get a product out, you know, in less than five years, what would it look like? And you guys had some really creative ideas, including the one that ultimately you wound up doing, which is taking an existing engine and modifying it. And then I remember asking, okay, does anyone in the room have a customer who might want to buy this? And one of the sales officers was like, oh, I know a guy. And we were like ready to broker a deal. And I was getting pretty excited. And one of the officers who, of course, will remain nameless for this exercise was really not having a good time. And he said that it stuck with me, my, it stuck with me every day since then. He said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What is the point of selling one engine? to one customer. He, a second ago, we were talking about billions and billions of dollars we're gonna make, and now we're talking about making like, from his point of view, 25 cents. And it's like I had said, hey, if you found a quarter on the street, picked it up and put it in your pocket, you just improved the GE balance sheet. Congratulations. It's like, it's preposterous. And, and we had this conversation right there in the room. It was like, look, if you believe the forecast and there's nothing to be learned, you're right. 
this exercise is pointless. And he was like, okay, great, you know, problem solved. And it was luckily some of his peers said, hold on, hold on, hold on. But we said before, there's all this uncertainty about the future. So I want to kind of get a sense of, okay, as you guys decided to do this, um, this MVP, and as you decided to um, take a risk and do something different than the normal way, like you must have encountered that question a hundred times, kind of, well, what is the point of doing something small? I thought this was going to be a big program. Like how have you ha handled that question you know, as you've gotten it over and over again from the, um, from the audience, from, I'm looking at questions from the audience, from the officers and other leaders in the company. Yeah, I think, you know, FastWorks has allowed us to take a, a smaller step. And I think when, we, when the program was, was started, even before I, I got onto the program, so there was a study team that worked for probably six months before I joined the team, everything was about taking a big swing. You know, don't, don't go to Jeff with something that's small. You're going to waste his time unless, unless it's, you know, if you can't get to a scale of at least a billion dollar kind of a product line at some point in time, you know, whatever it is out in your business case, you know, don't waste your time. And, of course, to go from zero to a billion, whether it's, it's software or whether it's, it's uh, diesel generator sets, right, that, that, that's a lot of units and, and, and a lot that goes on between being here and there. And I think the MVPs really help us in those smaller steps. And like I say, it made it okay to take a smaller step and, and do that. Mm -hmm. And I think it also got people to take a step back and say, okay, some of these programs, we, we got all done with them and they didn't sell. Right. And why didn't they sell? And, and so in this case, we're gonna be going through the same channels that we plan to sell the, the ultimate product to. So we're, we're getting the, the, the skids greased for a lot of those things as we go along here. And, and I think that becoming a little bit more of a learning organization versus just calling your shot and then hitting that shot. Mm -hmm. That, I think, is what's, what's been different at GE, and I think the, the, the language has changed over the last couple of years to, to, to allow us to do that. And we, we've probably been at the forefront of some of that. We've taken some of the hits yeah. uh, along the way, but you know, I think it's been good overall. Yeah, and just I wasn't sure if we, we mentioned before, FastWorks is the GE Lean Startup corporate-wide transformation program that, that has been really successful uh, at incorporating these ideas across the company. This was one of the very first projects that went through that training. So, Corey was really our guinea pig, and he, uh, he did take the shots. I was there. I saw it. Um, uh, so switching kind of from an internal perspective to an external perspective, I know you had really valuable discussions with distributors and you know, with potential customers that help you validate some early hypotheses. Like, can you talk a little bit about how that was a different process than you might have approached those distributors or customers kind of in the more traditional way of building a product like this? Well, in, in this sort of a product, services is critical. Um, to, to, the, to the end customer to have parts. Uh, we, we, we like to talk about being local, available, and competent, right? Mm -hmm. You need to do those three things. And, and you know, these are fairly high-tech machines. You, know, you wouldn't take your, your nice uh, German or, or Japanese uh, luxury car and then take it to the little guy over on the corner to, to work on these things, right? So we need to have the support in place, not only, almost primarily on the service side to begin with. No customer will buy this unless they've got a way to get this thing serviced and, and taken care of. So we, we, we needed to work with our channels. Um, most of our, our channels uh, did not have diesel, or if they did have diesels, it was somebody else's diesel. So um, it was part of our, our test in, in the MVP is, okay, so if we're gonna sell a few of these things, where can we sell them? What, what, what channels will accept it? You know, these are independent businessmen. Yes, we've got some, some leverage on them, but you know, the end of the day, they make the call whether they add to this product to the, what they're representing or, or not. So th there was a lot involved with that piece. And, and I think to me, one of the big learnings, and again, it should have been a fairly obvious thing, um, <laughs> but came back as, as we began actually starting to sell, was we're not going to sell a new product until we find somebody that we have a relationship with. Mm -hmm. And we were in a, on a 
junk it uh, someplace, and, and we were trying to see this one. Um, G- give people a sense of like where these distributors are in the world. I remember you guys took some quite quite long trips to do this. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the the target uh, for this is, is places where the power grid is 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 weak, right? So places like uh, sub-Saharan Africa, a lot of India, um, Indonesia being an island uh, or series of island nation, um, but, but it's those kinds of places where the power grid is weak and. Um, you know, they, they may have gas or may have gas coming to a certain point, so they don't go with a natural gas engine or a gas turbine, but they'll, they can truck in diesel, even though it's expensive, and they can get lights for a few hours per day and, like I say, charge up their cell phones or whatever it is they're trying to do, have a little bit of, of lights at night. Um, so, you know, it's certainly helping people, but oftentimes some very tough areas. And, yeah. and to, to find somebody that's already um, situated there, has the technical expertise to work on a high-tech engine, um, that, that's a challenge as well. Mm-hmm. And, and now that you've been through that MVP sales uh, process, talk about how your understanding of who the customer is and what they need is different than it was when you started this. I think the customer part we probably knew. It was more of how do we get it to the customer uh-huh. through our process and, and a lot of you know, internal stuff to, to be able to enable us to do external things. And, and getting all the, you know, there, there's a group that is in charge of the channels, there's a group that's in charge of sales, there's a group that's in charge of service, and it's making sure all those groups talk with each other. And, mm-hmm. and we've had to set up some internal rhythms to be sure that that stuff happens, because you know, if we're not there to make sure it happens, it just doesn't get done on its sure. own. People uh, used to work in silos too. Right, and, and to take on a new product, again, extensions of existing products, pretty easy, because something's already there, we just kind of copy the template, but something in a new space is, mm-hmm. is more challenging, so we've had to, focus and, and put a lot of time in on that as well. So we're starting to get questions in from the audience, so thank you. Please keep the questions coming. The URL, I hope, is still on the screen. Oh, they're going to bring it back. Okay. Uh, so please bring them in. Um, so one question we got from the audience is, because you're selling a smaller number of units rather than the millions of, well, the person wrote millions of hits you can get on a website. I thought you were going to say millions of units and millions of dollars. That was, That'd be great. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, because you're selling a small number of units, how do you navigate through the muddle of low numbers and even single digits? Like, you know, I think maybe like, how do you handle the fact that your early initial results, you see them as promising because you have a huge learning. Yeah. In the context of a multi-billion dollar company, maybe they seem a little, a little small. I think, um, and, and I would answer this by my, my prior role was, was in, in larger products in the gas turbine side, and we used to sell about 40 or 50 a year, right? Yeah. So we didn't have to have you know, numbers, we knew them by name. But to get those 40 or 50, we had to chase you know, 100 or 150, <laughs> right? So it, it's, um, it, it's not big numbers from a sample size. It certainly couldn't do uh, a lot of A-B comparisons right. or, 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 or trials like, like uh, we've heard about from the stage here. But it's, um, it's dealing with those initial customers. Um, there's always a stream of these things coming through. It, it can be kind of sporadic. But you know, at any point in time, I think right now we're tracking probably 20 to 30 opportunities worldwide kind of in this, this product space that, that might be a couple hundred units. So um, you know, that's, that's the kind of size that we're dealing with. So yeah three or five or 10, that's a significant number to us. Yeah. Um, you had a great image. I don't know when we had this conversation sometime in the past. We had a conversation we were talking about as an image of the kind of complexity that can attach itself uh, to products during the development stage as barnacles on a ship. <laughs> uh, and so I'm curious, like, I think so many people in the audience relate to this, that as more and more leaders pay attention and you know, just requirements get added on and just it's, it, scope creep is the ultimate killer of projects. So, Kind of, what's your view on how this kind of MVP approach, FastWorks approach, kind of helps you cut down with that complexity, get simpler and faster, and, and kind of remove requirements that 
you know, they're not really required. They're more like uh, nice to have suggestions, you know, might be a good idea kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, th this was going to be sort of a, uh, a cool corporate project and that it was going to be across businesses, mm -hmm. right, which automatically adds to complexity. Yep. Um, it was going to, you know, rely on global teams. We weren't going to relocate people, but we we're going to leave people where they were and, and, and try to work virtually, which again adds to complexity. Mm -hmm. um, they wanted to, to bring in uh, some new uh, technologies into GE to enable us to, to do more engine development down the right. road. Again, you guys are going to break the ice on that one. Um, we had a new um, uh, CAD system that, that we wanted to use, <laughs> right, a PLM. Uh, to, 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 so we took on those new things initially because, again, we were kind of getting the corporate funding. We were feeling it. We had a little bit of, of swagger. And, and we got about, you know, almost to the end of that first year, and it's like, you know, we, we got to stop doing these extra things, right? We, we need to stay focused on, on the goal. And so we started calling them barnacles on the ship, right? So when the next barnacle comes to want to attach itself, you know, we need to knock that thing off so we can keep the ship running a little bit faster. You know, I, I probably spent a lot of my time, and again, picking up some of the language from yesterday, you know, a lot of my time is kind of as the, the champion in, in the executive suite, but also... You know, I like to be the founder, the, the product manager, having my hands on the product and, and, and yeah. having input to the design and all that stuff. But I probably spent you know, over half of my time in that first year just trying to, to stiff arm folks and, and you know, yeah. keep the team moving over here and, and we can be on stage uh, spinning the plates, but behind the curtain, the team needed to be making that engine. Um, okay, well, questions are really pouring in now, so, so keep them coming, this is great. Um, Okay, a lot of questions in here about what does this look like enterprise-wide. People want to know what it's like at GE in general. Now, I'm not going to ask you to speak on behalf of the entire GE enterprise because it's, I don't know if you guys know, it's kind of large. <laughs> uh, it has diverse viewpoints and, and, you know, that's not Corey's role. But um, I'll try a couple of these questions on you. Sure. And, and you know, what I'm really curious about is not, you know, you don't have to speak on behalf of the company, but just what's your experience been seeing FastWorks roll out, seeing people embrace it, you know, what do you see? So here, first question was, all right, what about GE, the larger company? Can you share a little bit about how GE made Lean Startup part of the culture and DNA of the company, or even uh, how much does a larger company even support these methods? So from where I sit, I guess, so this is Corey, uh, yeah. Corey talking, not necessarily a GE talking. But Everyone from, got that? Yeah, from, okay. from, from, from what I see, I guess, and, and, and what I've observed, I think we're still in the early stages. Totally. Um, I think uh, certainly at, at the senior leadership level, there's, uh, you know, 15, 20% that, that sort of get it and, and really could, could do these things. And, and there's still a lot of folks that are either somewhat skeptical or, or they're just very good operations folks that, that this is not their DNA to, right. to be experimental and, and to be creative and to be innovative, right? It's, it's more, hey, here's the number. I've got to beat this number. And, and I, don't bother me with how you get there. Just go figure it out and, and do, it, do it by yourself. So mm -hmm. I, I think we've got uh, still a ways to go. I mean, Jeff has, has been very... Uh, very clear about the fact that he wants a simpler, uh, faster organization. Totally. And, and so this is part of that path to get there. But I, I, I still think we've got a long ways to go. And there's been a few, like there was a recent Business Week article about, about FastWorks, and there's a little bit of information out there. I would say, you know, as the outside person looking in, I think most people do not have any appreciation for the scale at which GE has attempted to do this. I mean, the total number of people who have been trained, the number of projects, the number of coaches, uh, it's kind of staggering. And, you know, I, I'll let them say what they want to say about it. But just to say that it's, this is not one project that we happen to meet each other you know, at, a, at a workshop and said, hey, let's try it. This is something that's come directly from the top of the company and has uh, been implemented really a, a across the board. Um, oh, this is, I like this one. So 
you've kind of become in some ways a poster child for this initiative. For, for better or for worse. For, for better or for worse, I know. And I'd probably you would prefer maybe you know, have a little bit lower profile within the company. So the question is, how, what's your experience been sharing your story within the larger diverse organization of GE so that other people can benefit from your experience? So I, I spent a fair amount of time in 2013. Um, in fact, I ran into a few times during yeah. some of the training. And I, I would come to a, an event, something like this, and be, be one of the panel members or, or, or talking about it. Um, it. It's been fun. I mean, I, it, I, I've always enjoyed change kinds of, of things, especially when I believe in, in the mission as, as to where it's going. So I think that's been good. Um, Hopefully, I, I've been able to convince a few folks to at least yeah. give it a try, right? Yep. You know, if nothing else, try it out on a project that you don't think is, is going to go <laughs> anyway. So, you know, if, if they... You didn't lose anything. Yeah. Right. But, it's um, the green eggs and ham strategy. It's like, just try it. You might like it. But we've kind of done a top down, and, and now it's, t it's time to empower more of the teams. And I think that's where the coaches come in to really help the teams day to day uh, yeah. uh, execute better. There, there's growth boards set up in many businesses now, which I think are, are a good first step to get some of those ideas. Explain what a growth board is. So a growth board is, 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 is an employee, you know, I guess I'll use like the oil and gas or the, the transportation examples where um, they've got a growth board set up of, of somewhere all of the, uh, the key executives. Um, there's a pot of money that's set aside that uh, is, is not taken from if they're having a bad quarter, right? They, so they, they leave the people alone, so they've got secure funding uh, when it comes to that. And is, they can bring ideas in any time of the year. And, and we used to have uh, a session we called Growth Playbook, which has only happened in the spring. So you could only have good ideas kind of in January, <laughs> February, March, right? And had to get into Growth Playbook, get funded, and, and move along. Now people in, in those organizations can bring ideas in any time of the year. Um, if, if, they're, if they have merit, they get a little bit of funding, take a little bit further, do an MVP, do, do some leap of faith assumptions. And, and so I, I think that that's going to start to generate some, some great ideas. Yeah. For the, you know, using this kind of VC style of investment with metered funding, uh, as an antidote to the typical corporate culture of entitlement funding, where kind of once you start funding something, the expectation is you kind of keep funding it year in, year out, no matter what, as long as politically speaking, you're doing fine. Uh, I, what I've seen is that that, you know, it creates a culture of accountability where the teams that, you know, understand that they need to achieve that next milestone and learn from customers and they're not going to get more funding, it clarifies the mind mm -hmm. uh, in a way that the tra traditional budgeting process doesn't. Um, okay, now the MVP questions are coming in. I knew they were going to come. Okay, so... Um, I'll just ask you a couple of these kind of quick fire. Uh, first was just how much did the engine specs change during your paper discussions with customers or with distributors? Um, or can you even remember? No, I'm just trying to think of, of the, the deals that we were close to. Um, we offered a pretty vanilla spec. And so we, we, there really weren't many options. I mean, uh -huh. there, was, there was like a, a generator option, medium voltage or, 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 uh, <laughs> or, or high voltage, right? Um, the, there wasn't a whole lot they could pick from. So it was more, uh, I think, around how are you going to support me and, and the services side than it was product options. And, and, and we had enough basic product options to certainly make, a, uh, again, a viable uh, power plant, yep. but, but, but not a lot of bells and whistles. Uh, maybe you talk about how your plan for the ultimate engine that you're still, you know, kind of that larger vision that you have, how was that influenced by the things that you've learned in those customer conversations? Is it pretty much the same, or have some of those details changed? Um, in the power generation segment, I think we, again, had much better understanding as to how we would sell and support. Uh, from the product spec side, I think we're learning some things now just in terms of going through a few um, sales processes that we would, we would do some tweaks on the product to, to make us a little more competitive in, in how, we, how we rate it, how we, uh, we present it out to customers. Got it. Um, folks want to hear more about these tests that you did with potential customers. So you mentioned the brochure test. Maybe not everybody knows kind of how that would look. Remember, people coming from a world of very different world than you live in every day. Maybe just walk through mechanically 
how did those how did you kind of design those experiments? What did what did the customer conversations look like? What did what collateral did you show them? Give us some flavor for what that looked like. Yeah, we, we put together basically a four-page uh, brochure on a, in a PDF. Uh -huh. um, and it was ugly. The first one that was it was it was black in the background. It looked like uh, we were going to have a funeral instead of uh, <laughs> something something joyous. But um, engineers made the brochure. We we, we fortunately hired a, a sales guy relatively er probably earlier than than we should have. You know, uh -huh. in terms of what uh, I mean, people would have said not, you know don't hire this person yet. But fortunately, we got John, and, and John's been been great. So John, uh, ex-military guy, you'd say, John, here's the mission, go get him. And, and he went out and, and started traveling the world. I mean, I think he's, uh, he's probably up there and, and across our entire business unit, he's got probably the second or third most miles of anybody <laughs> this year trying to go to, again, where a lot of the places where, where diesel is. But he just started selling that initial brochure. So I would say get it, define it well enough to, to do at least a, a simple spec sheet, right? Dimensions, weight, performance. Uh, some artist rendering or, or CAD uh, drawings or whatever you can, you can put together and, and go to find somebody with a relationship that you can trust and get some feedback from and, and start right away. Mm -hmm. All right, we've got a very specific question from someone who clearly knows something about this. Okay. And that is, how did you manage the software and sensor development in parallel with the hardware MVP for the engine? When did they align and was that kind of part of the first product, second product? How did you think about that? Um, they had to align on the first product. Uh -huh. and, and it was taking the transportation engine and controls and meshing them with the, the gen set or generator package controls and coming up with a working system. So we, you know, we had to get that done in, in the first one. So uh, we put an engine in the test cell back in May uh, at, at first fire and throughout the summer it was getting through the controls uh, development work to the point where we can hand this off to a customer and, and, and they can produce power. Does that mean it's probably pretty obvious to you, but did you have to have hardware and software people working on, yes. on your team in a cross-functional way? Because yep. I know that that is sometimes a challenge to, to do that. Yeah, I mean, in, in an organization like ours, software people are, are a relatively rare commodity. Oftentimes we'll go on the outside and, 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 and delegate a specific task. So it was getting the right people either internally or externally to be on this project at, at this point in time you know, for the, for the couple, three months that we needed to, to get that development work done. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I know entrepreneurs struggle with a lot with this process is how do you, on the one hand, have the big vision in mind, the multi-year, maybe even multi-decade project you want to yeah. be doing, and be acting quickly in the short term to do the MVPs and not get pulled too far in one direction or the other. What was that experience like for you? Well, we've had, a, a, I think, a long tradition of what we call multi-generation product plans, M MGPPs, you know, everything in GEs and acronym, right? Yeah. So, so we, we've had those. But I think, again, back to the risk thing, you know, outside or out of 18 or 24 months, a lot of that stuff really never comes true or it's, it's more aspirational than, uh, mm -hmm. than, than anything or, or directional. So, you know, we, we've maintained those thoughts so that when we do get asked the question from time to time, we can pull that chart out of the deck and say, here's, here's what our thinking is, here's where we want to go. Assuming we get this kind of funding and we get these things to work, here's kind of the path that we're going to take. So we do have that. But I would say the, the FastWorks has got us much more focused on the here and now, mm -hmm. you know, kind of inside of 12 months or maybe inside of 18 months, and, and trying to keep the team more focused there as well and not worry so much about the future. The future will, will happen when it happens. It'll sort itself out. Yeah. All right, we've got time for one last question, yeah. uh, and it is, what was the biggest surprise learning you had in this process? What surprised you the most? I think the biggest surprise was... Um, and, and I would say it's probably a category of these things, and mm -hmm. kind of back to the, the Rumsfeld, uh, there's the known knowns, the known unknowns, and the unknown unknowns. And it was the number of unknown unknowns, and especially on the internal side, trying to work across the businesses, people with, with different systems, um, different approaches, different toll gate processes, 
wouldn't have expected that much variance across the organization and, mm -hmm. and all the time it took us to get that stuff worked out. Yeah. Did this live up to my promise? Yeah, I thought so. So uh, just join me in, in giving a huge round of applause. Huge thank you, Corey, for doing this. I, I'm very grateful. Thank you. Thank you all very much. We appreciate it.